The scripture for today's sermon is from Luke 1, 68 through 79. The word of God speaks to us like this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to redeem his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give us light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of God to us. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you so much, Beth. Hey, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Nine. I get to serve uh, at this church as one of the pastors. Uh, I get to serve uh, at Frontline as a whole in the realm of church planning and church strengthening, and then get to be here uh, on, uh, on every week basis. Here, I say that because some of you may be new here and you may not realize that we're actually a part of a, uh, a network of churches or, or a family of churches of five congregations. It's actually one church, five congregations, and we send out church plants and we send out other congregations because we believe that ministry should be local. We believe that ministry should be in a place reaching a people. And so we're really glad to be here in Yukon. Uh, it's a fairly new new church uh, in getting started, but it's been a real honor to be able to love this city and serve this city and really glad that you guys are here this morning. If you have any questions about us as a church, let me know. Uh, also, if, uh, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I just want to say thank you for being here. Uh, I, it's not lost on us that it can be awkward to step into a room when you may feel like you're the only person that believes a certain thing or, or in this case, maybe doesn't believe a certain thing. And I just want to say, this is a safe place for you to come, bring your questions, bring your skepticism. There's no question off limits. So if you're, if you're here and you're, you're not quite sure what, uh, what faith is about or Christianity is about, uh, thank you for being here. You're always welcome. And if you've got questions, we would love, it would be an honor for us to sit. And we're not going to try to, we're not going to try to, to twist your arm, but we are going to be very clear about, we actually believe what the Bible says is for our good. And so if you want to have that conversation, I'd love to talk to you after uh, or set up some time this week to, to talk. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me um, because if, if, this, if, if the next couple of minutes is simply us getting some ideas in our head but not actually sinking into shaping our hearts, we're actually going to miss out. And so only, only if God does that work can that happen in us. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. And let's ask the Spirit of God to, to move and to work and to speak to us this morning. God, we're asking you to teach us. We're asking that you would form us. As we, we talk about peace in this season of Advent, that this wouldn't be a, a checkbox uh, that we, we mark off, that this wouldn't be... Um, this wouldn't be just something that we, we bite a little bit of time on a Sunday afternoon around, but rather that you would change our hearts and teach us how to walk in peace. God, I, I, know, that, I, I know that in this room, not everybody feels peaceful. I know I don't feel peaceful. But we're asking you to, to be our peace this morning. 
I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that don't know, um, for those of you that know, you know, I'm a nerd, and I make no apologies about it. I love all nerddom, kind of all, all, all aspects of it. Uh, and this week, I was listening to a podcast in which a couple of other nerds were talking about really nerdy topics uh, regarding uh, public violence and, and, uh, and policing and all the, the things that are tied up in that. And that what they were doing in this is they were, they were looking at the trend over the last couple of years and watching murder rates go up in the U.S. over the last couple of years and, and talking about why is this coming? Really depressing, right? Yeah, it was. And they're talking about what's happening with these murder rates and why are they increasing and how do we address it. And so they were talking about cons- kind of conservative political approaches and progressive political approaches. Uh, is it more policing, less policing, different policing, all of these kinds of things. But here, here's a, the reason I share this is not because uh, all you guys are going to run out and read, probably listen to that podcast. It's that what was surrounding and kind of all the way through this whole conversation was a word that I don't know if it got uttered. And that is, where's the peace? That that the entire conversation hinged on, we feel a lack of peace and a longing for peace, and we don't know how to step into the space between. We don't know how to inhabit the space between. Well, that's not just true out there, is it? It's true in us. That, that, usually, that in some, some way, inside of us is both this lack of peace that we feel and this longing for peace that we yearn for, but we are often caught, in, left in the middle, wondering how can I have peace in this moment of my life? Well, this morning, this, the invitation of the season of Advent is to periodically, in the, in the, in the, over the course of the year, to stop and to step towards some really important questions that ought to drive us all year long, but it helps to periodically just stop and go, are we actually leaning towards the peace that Scripture offers? Advent, the season of this, this week of Advent is to lead our hearts into this idea, this question of peace. So this morning, I want to look at three things. I want to look at the lack of peace. I want to look at the war for peace, and I want to look at the way of peace. We're going to look at the lack of peace, the war for peace, and the way of peace. Because I think for many of us in this room, peace almost feels like that, um, that taunting stranger. It's almost like this thing that's sitting at a distance that we don't really know very well and kind of mocks us by its absence, that, that we feel taunted by it. We deeply want it, but we don't know where it is, how to get it, or is it just a myth? And we find this in our hearts. The good thing is that when I look at the biblical text, I realize I'm not alone. That in the biblical text, it shows us people that feel the exact same thing, that are coming up and butting up against the exact same questions, the exact same longings. And one of those is at the beginning of Exodus, when the people of Israel are in slavery in Egypt. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the the book of Genesis talks about the beginning of Israel as God himself calling a man named Abraham to to a special relationship and says, your descendants are going to be my people that I'm going to love. And and, and my love for for your descendants is actually to love the entire world, but I have a special covenant love with your family. Four generations later, his great-great-grandson, Joseph, is sold into slavery into Egypt 
That, went, that didn't go well. But over the course of years and years and years, the Lord does a work and actually raises Joseph from the place of slavery to the second most powerful position in Egypt. He leads Egypt through a, a massive famine and actually preserves the entire nation. And eventually, jo Joseph's family moves to Egypt because they're leaving the place of famine and coming to the place of plenty in order to receive. And, and if there's any hope at this point, it's that they've arrived. That at this point, after, after generations of struggle, Israel is now in Egypt with prosperity, power, and privilege. And it looks like things are going well for them. But hang in, hang on, not so fast. Exodus 1 gives us a very different story of what happened over time. Look at Exodus 1, verse 9. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. But the more that they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Not exactly the context that you would say, that feels peaceful, huh? In other words, this people that God had promised to love is now finds themselves in a place where generation after generation after generation, it's not peace and prosperity that they feel. It's what they experience is suffering, wondering what's going on. And you can imagine that generation after generation after generation, some were giving up and some were holding on to a glimmer of hope. But what you realize is that their life is not defined at all by the presence of peace, or at least the feeling of peace, is it? It's not a peaceful situation to be in slavery. But then this brings us to Exodus 2, just a, a few verses later, and we read this. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Now listen to this. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Jacob or God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. It's a stunning passage. You see, Israel, at, the, at this place in which they deeply lack peace, they think they're crying out for help, and nobody's listening because it's not changing. But what the text tells us is that whether they realized it or not, God was hearing their prayers. He was remembering his covenant. He saw them and he knew them. Now, in response, what we're going to see through the book of Exodus is that God actually brings up a man named Moses and leads them out of Egypt, leads them out of slavery towards a promised land. But if you spend any time in Sunday school at all, you realize that the Israel's history after that moment is a series of ups and downs. 
There are times in which it appears that there's peace and prosperity, and there are times when peace and prosperity can't be found anywhere. And what you find inside the nation of Israel is this longing for something, a longing for a future hope, a longing for a future peace, and the lingering question of, is there peace to be found somewhere? You see, throughout the entire Old Testament, Israel walks through seasons of conflict, suffering, and anxiety. But in the midst of that longing comes this promise through the prophets of a Messiah, one who will come. And you find Israel, in the midst of that lack of peace, longing for something that will come, waiting for something that will come, It's why we actually celebrate Advent. When we celebrate Advent, we're remembering the way that Israel waited as we wait. Now, there's an interesting thing in the midst of this in which there's a paradox with peace. There's a paradox with with regard to peace because how often is peace just fall from the sky? Let's go with never, right? Peace often comes on the backside of war. That in the midst of this lack of peace, often peace, when it does come, comes as a consequence of war, which is a really interesting dichotomy, right? Like, how do you do that? I'm peaceful, but I'm fighting. Like, where's this line? But it's often these peace accords happen after a war has been fought. This paradox is seen very, very clearly in a series of prophecies that that Isaiah gives to Israel about who we know as Jesus. At the time, Israel just knows him as this Messiah, this promised one who's coming. We know as Jesus. And in these prophecies of Isaiah, he tells us both who Jesus is and what Jesus will do. And I think it's going to help us understand this idea of the war for peace, this paradox if you would. Look at Isaiah 9, verses 6. This is a passage that's familiar in many ways around Christmas time because it's a prophecy about Jesus. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This refrain is picked up in Handel's Messiah. It's picked up in so much of the, the language of the, the Christmas hymns and the Christmas songs and the Advent songs because there's with it this longing and a hope for one who will come that will be a prince of peace, which is good news when I lack peace, isn't it? But if we go two chapters later in Isaiah, we pick up this word about Jesus that I think helps us put some context to this idea of him as prince of peace. Look at Isaiah 11, verse 1 through 9. There shall come forth, from, uh, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall judge by what his eyes see and decide disputes by what his ears hear. At this point, all's well, right? Now look at the verses that come. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Look and, listen to this. He will strike the earth with the rod of his 
mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And we're like, Prince of Peace, huh? Doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? Prince of Peace, I'm going to kill you. Like, I mean, we're, we're kind of caught in this. What do I do with this passage? But keep reading, keep reading. Verse 6, as a consequence of what this Messiah does, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned, the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the Lord shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see the tension in the text. Where do you get this kind of profound peace? I mean, the, the reason that this imagery is so shocking is because you ever seen a leopard and a little lamb lay down and cuddle and play? Not unless cuddle and play means I'm eating you, right? How many of you let your little kids go play with a rattlesnake pit? Nobody, hopefully. If you do, we need to have a talk. This story is so shocking because the image just seems so unrealistic. There's, but there's an invitation of beauty to peace here. But where did the peace come from? War. It came from war. It came from Jesus, the Prince of Peace, actually going to war, going to battle against his enemies, didn't it? You see, it's fascinating when you look at Jesus in the Gospels because we, we talk about, uh, we, we like to talk about Jesus when he, when he talks about uh, being, a, uh, being a, a person of peace or calling us to peace. But there's this really fascinating passage. In, it's picked up in Matthew 10 and again in Luke 12 where Jesus says to his disciples, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. And you're like, wait a minute, what? It's not the cuddly Jesus I saw in a flannel graph as a kid. What, what's this? But at the same time, just a little bit later, John 14 and verses, four, chapters 14 and chapter 16, we hear Jesus say, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled. So you find this, this tension in Jesus, don't you? This, it's not a tension in Jesus. It's a tension in us relating to Jesus. How is he both a God of peace and also one who goes to battle? You see, the paradox of this passage is that peace is only made possible by war in which Jesus goes to war against his enemies, but he goes to war for us. He's the one that battles on our behalf. It's not our battle. It's his. We don't gain peace by war. He does. But what's the nature of this look like? Romans 16 is a fascinating passage to me. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. 
For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Now listen to this. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Peace through what? War. He brings us peace by crushing the enemy. But as if that's not enough of a paradox, it becomes even more head-scratching when you look at a later prophecy in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53. I want you to look here, and we're going to pull these pieces together here in just a second. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Jesus, or Isaiah here talking about the future Messiah, talking about who we know as Jesus. Jesus was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed, esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. This does not sound like a victorious one, does it? Listen to this. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities or our sins. Upon him was the chastisement that did what? Brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. There's a few things that I think we have to take away from this. One is peace is not ours to go and grasp. It's a gift that he gives. And let me just say, let me just spoil it. That peace is offered to every single one of you in this room. That peace is not, not he's not a miser with his peace. He's not Scrooge with his peace. He's, he's frugal with it. It's offered to all. But I want you to look at this. He fights a war for our peace. But typically when you fight a war and you're victorious, the other people are the casualty, right? Look at this. He was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus didn't crush Satan's head by... By showing force, he crushed Satan's head by being crushed himself. The sword he picks up to wield is a sword that gets wielded against him. He is crushed for our sins. And it's by being crushed that he is victorious. is that he goes to war and it, he seemingly gets beat in war only to rise again triumphant in war to bring us peace. His chastisement brought us peace. Later on in Isaiah 58, it picks up this language of the covenant of peace. But because of what Jesus has done, he's brought us into covenantal relationship, committed relationship in which he is committed to you and committed to bringing peace you peace. Ephesians 2 will say of Jesus that he himself is our peace. And in verse 17, that he preached peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. Now you may be going, hey Jeff, that's, that's a great theology lesson. I appreciate that. It doesn't change the fact I don't feel very peaceful. 
Because what we prayed earlier is that we're going we're gonna to waste our time if all we do is come away, come away with theoretical information. Because I don't know what you brought in this room. I don't know what you walked in with, but I can guarantee you at least some of you, if not most of you, at some area of your life don't feel at peace. And the theory doesn't change that. The theory doesn't change that. Our, our life feels swarmed by war, anxiety, suffering, conflict, insecurity, fear, chaos. But this invitation is towards peace. You see, I know many of us in this room are feeling that anxiety. But I want to remind us that Israel was feeling that right before Jesus came. You know, it was the very thing that the people of God were feeling at, right on the heels of Jesus be, taking on human flesh and being born, what we celebrate at Christmas. Right before that, Israel was saying the same thing. Because Israel used to be in a place of prominence. They used to be in a place of peace, but now they've been dominated by the Romans, and the Romans are ruling their land. And they can't even worship on their own. They have to get permission from other countries to be able to worship, and they feel at odds. They feel anxious. They feel afraid. And it's to those people, the people, not the people that were resting in peace, but the people that longed for peace, that these words from Zechariah came. The words that we read at the beginning. Let's read these again. Luke 1, starting in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now remember, this is being uttered by Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, who is just about to be born, and he says this to his yet-born son, to you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and to you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. But listen to this. This is the anchor. Because of because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into what? The way of peace. You see, we feel the lack of peace and we can look at scripture and see how Jesus wages the war for peace, but we now are introduced to the way of peace the way of peace. You see, peace is not merely circumstantial, is it? There are times when life's a little more peaceful than others. I really wish those happened a little more often than they seem to do. But the scripture's not like, hey, be, be at peace when it's peaceful. When it's not, you gotta pass. Is that what scripture does? The scripture actually calls us, even in the midst of circumstances that aren't peaceful, it calls us towards peace. It calls us to yearn towards peace, to long for peace, to move towards peace. And if you don't believe me, all we got to do is read the Bible, which is always a good thing to do. 
Jesus, this Prince of Peace, who's always at peace, his circumstances weren't always peaceful, were they? I mean, I remember the last time that you were out on the street corner preaching and people were like, yeah, let's throw him over the cliff. Well, that happened to Jesus a lot. There were people that came and, and undercut his teaching that opposed him in the face of other people. His own family's like, I think he's crazy. He belongs in an institution. Let's get him, let's get him somewhere, get him some help. Wasn't feeling at peace, and yet this God of peace is walking in peace. Now, you go, well, that's Jesus. He's got, he got a little easier than we do. It's actually not true, but let's just, he is different than we are. So let's look at Paul. Paul writes the book of Philippians, this, this book about joy, saturated in peace from where? A Roman prison. I wouldn't call that the most peaceful of circumstances, would you? How, how about John? The, the, the apostle John, he, he writes, the, he writes uh, the, the, the book of Revelation that actually is ultimately about the peace that will come from an island, a deserted island where he's been left to die. Not exactly circumstances that are peaceful. You see, peace is not based on circumstances. Though we long for circumstances to be peaceful, the Bible calls us towards peace even in the midst of conflict, of anxiety, of chaos. So how do we walk in this way of peace? If what Zechariah is, is giving us is this prophetic image of this way of peace, what is this way of peace? And we could, we could spend a lot of time here, but there's just three things I want to highlight. I, I, think a way, I think the way of peace is marked by three things. It's, long, it's marked by a longing for peace, a striving for peace, and a waiting for peace. It's marked by a longing for peace, a striving for peace, and a waiting for peace. Let's look at longing for peace. I think many times we say we long and desire peace, but some of us just like a lot of conflict. Some of us will say, use the words, I, I'm, I'm wanting peace here, but actually down at a deep level, there's almost like we thrive off of conflict. There, there, are, there, there, are, there are moments in our life where we have to recognize that maybe we don't long for peace like we ought to long for peace. The scriptures call us towards not just, not just recognizing the good of peace, not just recognizing that it would be a good thing to have, but actually to long for it, for it to be a motivating passion of my life. So I want to ask, do we truly desire peace? And by that, I don't just mean peace for yourself. I mean peace for others. Do you engage in conversations, not simply to secure your own peace, but to actually bring peace? Do you long for it? This longing, though, I, I, it, it has, has momentum to it. It has movement to it. It has action to it, which I think leads us into this idea of striving for peace. It, it's one thing to long for. It's another to actually strive for. This is why Scripture so often calls us to be peacemakers, not peace finders, not peace hoarders, Peacemakers. Now, we actually step into places that are drenched in conflict, bringing peace, working for peace. Now, there's no soft sentimentality. I've, 
I've been in my share of conflicts, and sometimes the peaceful thing is not to actually just kind of back, back down and kind of go soft. But the question I wonder is, do we sometimes step into, into battles or into conflicts or into things longing to actually work to make peace, or are we going in assuming that peace is a fool's errand and never chasing that down? Even when we step into conflicts, are we, are we stepping into the conflict striving for peace or not? Colossians 3, Paul tells us that the, he, he, tell, he commands for us to let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. 1 Peter 3 tells us, turn away from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Hebrews 12 tells us to strive for peace for everyone or with everyone. And there's this fascinating passage in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 is talking about that we don't wrestle, we don't have battle, we don't do battle ultimately with, with other humans and, and other created things. We do battles against powers and principalities uh, that, are, that, are opposing, that are opposing Jesus. We're, we're actually, we're, these are actually spiritual battles. And then it gives us this image of what does it look like to go into spiritual battle, and it gives us this, uh, this idea of armor. And he uses it as a metaphor of breastplate of this and sword of that. And, and uh, in, in one, of the, one of the pieces of the armor that he tells us to wear is to, to shod our feet or to equip our feet with the gospel of peace. In other words, we go into conflict bringing peace as a part of our warfare. You see, this isn't passive, it's active. So I ask, are we working for peace? But with this working for peace, I'd say I don't know about you, but I do know about you because none of us have ever been able to actually secure final peace, have we? You can work your tail off. You can long for it all day long. Sometimes we're working for it, and it's just not coming. In other words, the call to walk in the way of peace by striving for peace is not, hey, you can do it. Just give it a go. Give it a go. I bet you can work out peace, and you'll have peace. No, no, no. That's not what it is, is it? Ultimately, peace is not something we secure. It's only a gift of God. Remember, we just talked about that. Jesus himself gives us peace as a gift, which means this, that between now and receiving the fullness of that gift... We wait for peace. We long for peace. We strive for peace. But the season of Advent, it brings us into a tension of waiting for peace. Now, I think we have a hard time with this because when we think about walking in the way, we think of walk as, a, as, a, as an active verb and waiting as a passive verb. Walking is an active verb. We act. We do stuff. Waiting is passive. That's not the way Scripture talks about waiting. Waiting is not passive in Scripture. There's an anticipation, a leaning in, a movement towards in that waiting. The Scripture actually calls us to lean forward, to move towards, which means this. Look, it means that sometimes we're doing warfare in our own hearts when we feel despair. I spent all week working on this sermon only to sit down at the end of the last service a while ago and begin to weep because I realize I'm not living in peace. 
I prepped an entire sermon around the invitation for peace, but inside I feel war going on and I feel despair. And I felt the whisper of the Lord say, it's a gift for you too. Wait for it. That we are brought in to wait for peace. We lean in. Think about it a little bit like kids waiting for Christmas Day. Now, my kids will tell you I'm, I'm a Grinch. That's just because I don't listen to, let them listen to Christmas music, at least in my present, before Thanksgiving. Because, you know, logic, right? They, 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 they stole away and listened in their own car. They listened to their own AirPods. But I'm like, I can't hear it because this is the way it's supposed to be done. You wait till Black Friday, and then we're all in. I am Christmas music all the time between Thanksgiving and New Year's. I got Buble on, in, on, my, on my Spotify list all day long. Love that, love that album. All in on Christmas. Here, here's what's fascinating about Christmas, especially with kids, is that they are, there's this anticipation of Christmas Day, right, that, that even gets stirred when presents start hitting underneath the tree. As presents get under the tree, what happens, kids? Pick it up. Shake it a little bit. My dad was really cruel, right? This is, a, this is a pro tip for parents. And threw some bells in there one time so that when you shook it, it just jingled. And you're like, is it broken or what is it? I don't know. Um, so you're welcome, kids, sorry. Um, so you, you shake the present. You wonder what's in it. You're longing for it. And here's what's kind of interesting. You haven't opened the present yet. You don't even necessarily know what's in the present. But there's something about the joy that you're going to experience that fills you with joy in the present, doesn't there? There's actually an anticipation of the gift you're going to receive that comes back and gives you joy in the moment. And I think we have to see waiting on peace like this. That there is a day, as crazy as it sounds, in which lions and lambs will lay down. In which people that would normally be against each other are, are, are in harmony. That there's no more war. One day. But if I wait with this longing expectation for that day, there's a sense in which that peace that I'm going to receive comes back into the present and fills me with peace before I have it. Does that make sense? The looking ahead and the waiting for the thing actually feeds back into the present and gives me hope of what is coming. Because it will come. One day, that peace will be ours. And it's because of that that Paul can say in Philippians 4 that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not our peace, it's his peace that will guard our heart until the day in which peace is ours. You see, even as we feel the lack of peaceful circumstances, we're invited to receive peace. Again, I, I said earlier, I don't know what you brought in this room. I don't know what you're carrying with you. I don't know where you feel the lack of peace. But I want you to hear here, Jesus' call to you is to not just receive peace in the future, but to receive peace now. Now, that may not change your circumstance. 
That may not change the conflict in your family. That may not change the diagnosis you receive. That may not change the things that are swirling on inside of you. But what we are invited into is the way of peace, a longing for peace, a striving for peace, and a waiting for peace. You see, just as Israel went in slavery in Egypt, it tells us that God heard them remembered his promise, saw them, and knew them. What that text teaches us, because Scripture is clear, God never changes, which means I don't know where you are right now, but I want you to hear this really, really loud. The Lord hears those prayers. Now, I don't, know if it, I don't know if you're right on the edge of Moses leading you out of Egypt or you still got generations to go. I don't know, but he hears you. He didn't forget his promises. He remembers his covenant. He sees you and he knows you. And just as he rescued Israel, he will rescue But until that moment, until that moment that peace circumstantially is finally ours, peace will guard our hearts while we wait for peace to be ours. Let's pray.